Welcome to everyone with Hashem's loving grace. We continue learning Likutei Moran, the first discourse, Torah 1. Uh, we've learned five lessons tonight. God willing, we're going to have a seum, a completion, and this is a monumental accomplishment that the, all of us together to, to learn this this one discourse together. Bezat Hashem. Uh, to make everyone, don't worry if you're new. I'm going to now review the five lessons. And the reviewing will help those who learned it retain it. And those who didn't learn it will be completely in the picture. Okay, so tonight's lesson is entitled The Rogue Wave. We're going to see a wave. There's a rogue wave. Wave looks very beautiful on the sunset. And then uh, all of a sudden you see it's a killer wave. It could sink a ship. That's called a rogue wave or a killer wave. That's the name of tonight's lesson. Okay, so our uh, review here in Torah 1 we're learning how to pray effectively and how to illuminate the darkness in our life and how to get close to Hashem. And that is the name of the whole ballgame. That's our mission in life, uh, getting close to Hashem. That's why we ask ourselves why our, our souls come from under the heavenly throne. They are closer to the Almighty than the angels, the human soul. The human soul is really higher than the angel. Okay, But then why would the Almighty take the soul and throw it down to someplace so low as the physical world. There's no place lower in the entire spiritual and physical realm than this world. This world is lowest because so many people don't know about Hashem. And everyone in creation outside of humans, and in the, certainly in the spiritual world, everybody is blinded by Hashem's light. And they're the thing when what the Gemara talks about how the angels, the word electricity in Hebrew is chashmal. And it comes from the way the angels run from Hashem, that they're so scared. Hash means they run. And mal means they, they have perspiration dripping down their, 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 their spiritual faces. And this is where we get the word electricity from in Hebrew. And it's, it's such, why would we're closer to Hashem? What's Hashem throw us down here for? Because this world is called olam, which in the holy tongue comes from the word he'lem, concealment. Because this is the only place in the universe where the Almighty's presence, his divine light, is concealed. And we have to look for it. Okay, so by praying and by learning Torah, we get closer to Hashem. The more we get close to Hashem, the more we reveal the divine light. Okay, it's called Hidgalut, the reveal, the revelation of divine light. We have revelation starts ourselves. We don't need any outside revelations for our own hard work. By our hard work, we get to have this revelation. Okay, so we're talking about connecting with divine light. Now, once again, we learned in 13 Principles of Amirna, our third principle number three, that the Almighty has no corporal properties. Light, though it's very sublime physicality, it's still physicality. Because they measure light on, on the spectrum as light waves. Okay, you measure light waves. But it's very sublime. But we only use this, we say divine light as a metaphor because we're humans and our souls are trapped in this human body. We have this human ears, this human brain, so we can only use these metaphors. And the reason the Almighty gives us the body is that so we can understand by way of the body is one big metaphor for godliness. And that is what the Torah means in Genesis when it says we were all created in the divine image, created in God's very image. Okay, so we connect to that divine light. And once again, divine light, if you could measure its physicality, it would be a billion times stronger than the light of the sun. It was so blinding. And we compared it, now let's say, to raw electricity coming out of a power plant. Raw electricity. It's uh, megabytes, billions and billions of watts, two billion watts of raw electricity in a 
small city power plant, it's enough to power a thousand homes. Now imagine taking all that power and zapping it to your light bulb, can't handle it. Would be dispersed. So what the Almighty has to do is do a series of constrictions, constrictions, and constrictions. And so we can have access to that divine light on our level. And then what we do like an athlete, we strengthen our souls, just like an athlete strengthens a muscle by more resistance. Our souls also have to have resistance. We have resistance. We don't get more spirituality by eating chocolate ice cream. We attain more spiritual muscles by standing in trials, tribulations, and holding on to Amuna and keeping a smile on your face while we're doing it. Okay, so this we're talking about connecting with divine light, getting close to Hashem. And Rabbi Nachman explains that we all do that by two ways. We can learn do it by learning Torah. It's a very fine way. And then we're not, we're not sitting and learning Torah all day long. But when we go out in the world and we look at every creation and we look at the inner dimension of every creation. In other words, not look at a creation's outer physicality. Look at the purpose of that creation. Look what that creation is trying to accomplish. Look what that creation's mission is on earth. Uh, even if you take a, a brick, okay, is that brick part of a wall? Or is somebody using that brick to keep a door open? What's it with the, with the brick? You can see that there's a divine wisdom in a brick. But simply we observe it. We don't look at a brick as just a chunk of clay that's been thrown in a kiln and comes out brown. We look at a brick. What's the brick supposed to do? This brick, it's part of a wall. And there's other bricks, part of a wall. You know, this is a metaphor of human beings. That we're part of this. We're building this. Maybe we're insignificant one by one, but together we can build a world. Or maybe this is a metaphor of the way the Almighty built my body. One cell was insignificant. One cell built upon another cell. In other words, I'm just giving an example, <clears throat> but we can see everything in the most mundane creation, whether it is on the four levels of basic mineral, plant, animal, or human, we can see the divine wisdom instilled in that creation. And if there's no divine wisdom in that creation, it can't live because the divine wisdom in a creation, that is the creation's life force. And that is the difference between a creation existing and a creation that's in not, ceases to exist. When it comes to human, that divine light, that life force, that's called the soul. Now, can you imagine the joke? It's going to be a very sad joke for so many people. When they get upstairs after 120 years and they've been denying Hashem all their life, and uh, Hashem says, hello, you, you know who was keeping you alive for every moment of 120 life? Okay. And you were denying your own life force? This is it, It's so ridiculous. Anybody that has a, a, a kindergarten level of spiritual awareness knows that just the denial of the Almighty, it's just so ridiculous that a person, if he wants the person to, to realize what he or she is doing on earth, it's a connection with the Almighty. The rest is commentary. That is our purpose on earth, standing on one foot. Now, one person might do it by being a teacher in school. Another person might do it by uh, being a policeman. Another person may be a clergy. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter. But whatever we're doing, it's for a job that the Creator wants us to do to correct the world, make the world a better place, and to get closer to Hashem. Okay, so, but in order to... And to glean the divine light, the divine wisdom instilled in that creation, you can't look at the physicality. When you look at another person, you have to look at the person's personality. If you have good enough spiritual vision, you can see the shine in their eyes, the reflection on their forehead, 
and, and don't you know what what, what they, they're Chinese, they're African, they're American, European. It's nothing. That's nothing. Maybe that's that's the way their voice sounds, the way their accent sounds. But you have to look past that. In other words, to have spiritual vision, spiritual eyesight, you have to be colorblind. You have to love every human being because if you don't love that human being, you won't connect with the divine light. All right. So, so divine light, we said it is very, very bright. It's dazzling a million times more than the sun. And that's an understatement. So we have to prepare some kind of vessel to harness that divine light. Just like a, the how we used to go back to the example of the home and the electricity, the, the divine light, the light coming from the power plant has to go through so many relay stations and transformers and a neighborhood power did the power lines and then till our circuit breaker at, at home and our fuse box until it comes into our light in a measure that our refrigerator can handle, that our washing machine can handle, that our living room light bulb can handle. And that's just, this is a metaphor for godliness. And this is a metaphor how a person can understand the 10 spheres of godliness. This divine light begins up at the top sphere, which is called chokhmah, wisdom. That's the divine wisdom. And then it filters down through these other I'm not going to go through the, the other eight, but go to the bottom sphere, which is us. Now, the bottom sphere is malchut. That's the kingship. Why is it called malchut kingship? Because who's going to be king? Now, there's a war down here, down by us, between malchut, the kedusha, the holy side of kingship, and malchut, the sitracha, and the dark side of kingship. Who is the holy side? The holy side, that's the soul. The dark side, that's the body. Rabbi Nachman says that the holy side, that is Jacob. The whole war between Jacob and Esau in the Torah, that says Shem created the world. The whole world is a metaphor that we read the Torah, not to read stories, read the divine light. When Rabbi Nachman explains Torah to us, he's saying that the war between Jacob and Esau, they wrestled all night long. That's the war between the good inclination and the evil inclination. And Torah one is really who is going to win. Who's going to, we're going to get down there, but we're reviewing the last five lessons. This is the this is the, the war that's going in inside every one of us. And it's a 120 year long war. And it's going to be until your 120th birthday when you close your eyes and say, bye bye, I'm going upstairs. And that's when it finishes. It finishes only when the soul leaves the body because the soul, soul's holy and the soul goes back upstairs, back up to the Almighty. Hopefully, that the soul comes up there refined with a lot of amuna. And the soul didn't let the body soil it. How does this body soil the soul? When the body lusts, gets the it conquers the soul, and the body does things that the soul knows is wrong. The soul knows the soul is a, a divine light. So so you knows it you can't steal, you can't murder, it can't play with the neighbor's spouse. You, you can't do any of these things. Okay, this is what darkens the soul. And what dark and soul imagines like taking mud and throwing on a window. When a window is nice and clean, it's translucent. When the soul is nice and clean, it's translucent. It's able to receive a greater amount of divine light. But when there are transgressions on the soul, the soul gets smudged. And the soul gets smudged and it's dirty. And the divine light doesn't transmit. The transmission of divine light, if you'd measure, if you measure the power of the light, it'd be much, much lower. And people, this is that people... Say, well, they got trouble with Amuna, and they don't feel like learning Torah. They don't feel like keeping the commandments. Let's check. Where do we check? Okay, where have you gone wrong, my brother? Where have you gone wrong, my sister? And you find and you see that they've made some type of 
transgression that's closed off divine light. But maybe it'd be something that they said, well, I didn't steal from anybody. I didn't murder anybody. Uh, you read the Chofetz Chaim. Maybe you slandered somebody. Maybe said something nice about this, not nice about somebody. That's pretty serious. That's also a transgression of Torah. Okay. So now we come down and this is, we're trying to build ourselves in stronger spiritual vessels so we could get more light. And the more we have more light of Torah and more light of Emuna, and the more that we nullify our physical desires to the desires of the soul, the more that the soul controls the body, this gives us charm. So when words of prayer come out of a mouth that is really the loudspeaker of that soul, they have charm. And when they have charm, they're readily accepted. Okay, so the charm is the voice of Jacob. And when they don't have charm, that's the hands of Esau. <laughs> so this is, the, again, the war of Jacob and Esau. Okay, so what we make a choose, the Almighty gives us a free choice. We can choose between a life of the Muna and realize that we have no light on our own. Our own. Some people, they're the big man on campus. They're the big smart and their ability. And they don't want to listen to anybody else. This is what King Solomon says, a fool shuns wisdom. When talking about fool shuns wisdom, King Solomon, when he says wisdom, he is talking about divine wisdom because there's no other wisdom other than divine wisdom. Now, when we know that we have no wisdom of our own, then we become clean vessels for this fine wine of wisdom. When we have this humility that we have nothing of our own, but we're depending on the light we get from the Almighty, then we become like the moon and we prepare ourselves as a vessel for the light of the sun. And this is the metaphor also that Rabbi Nachman uses. And Rabbi Nachman takes us from the Zohar, that the sun, which is divine wisdom, shines on the moon, which is our souls. And when our souls get this divine light, our souls are clean and get this divine light, then our souls become charming. It's like, see, people, uh, they, they say something, they, they're the moon gazers. The moon is so beautiful. The moon is so beautiful. Since the moon is really a metaphor of the divine presence, uh, the Torah says we're not supposed to glare at the moon. We see the moon, we make a blessing over the moon, but we're not supposed to glare at it because that's the Ligarian divine presence. The same thing in, in Torah, we're not supposed to glare at a rainbow. The rainbow is also symbolic of the divine presence because the rainbow was the symbol of the Almighty's covenant with Noah, the Noahide covenant. And that's the symbol of the Almighty's covenant. He showed the rainbow. Okay, so we, we see a rainbow. We also make a blessing on a rainbow, but we don't gaze at it. Uh, these things that represent. Now, once again, they're not, don't, make, don't get me wrong, they're not divinity, but they represent divinity, and we don't stare at them. They're not a good idea to stare at them because it's not, it's not good for the soul. All right, so this, we explain that the divine wisdom is represented by the letter Chet in Hebrew. Okay, that's Chochmah, the first letter of the word Chochmah, which is wisdom. The soul is represented by the letter Nun, Okay, that is when the, the holy soul, and that's from King David mentions that when he says the name of Messiah, he says Enon. He calls it Enon, that this is the holy soul. He keeps it really talking about the soul, and that's Enon sounds like the word Nun. Rabbi Nachman says that King David is indicating that Nun represents the soul. So what happens when the soul gets the divine light? It's the nun and the chet. They come together and they get the Hebrew word chen, which means charm. So when that divine light is in your soul and you pray, 
from a soul that the, the, the mouth that has it's the mouthpiece of soul, it's reflecting the words of, of such an exquisite soul that they're readily heard. Okay. Now, once what we learned last week in our fifth lesson, when the chet and the nun come together and they create the chain, then this creates an impression. I'm using again a metaphor on the divine heart. The divine heart, the levelion, creates an impression. It's like if, if you've ever carved your initials on a tree. That's an impression. It creates an impression on that like a stamp. Your stamp, you, you've stamped your soul. Your soul has made a stamp, has made an impression on the Almighty's heart. And you know, the Almighty's carrying around on his heart. And he's certainly going to answer your prayers. And that letter that makes an impression, Isaiah the prophet tells us that impression is represent. excuse me, Ezekiel the prophet tells us that that impression is represented by the letter tough. So now we take the letter nun and letter chet, letter tough, we get the word in Hebrew, nachat, which means gratification. It also means gentleness. Nachat is gentleness. And King Solomon says that the words of the wise are gentle. He says, that, a person it won't listen to you if you yell at him, but a person speaks softly and a person speaks nicely. The words readily go into your heart. And this is a double play on words that are words of prayer that they're like princesses glowing in this divine wisdom and wearing these gowns, wedding gowns of divine wisdom and appearing before the king. They give the king nachat. They give the king gratification and they can readily walk in the palace because the words of prayer are like princesses. They're, They're daughters of the soul. And our, our, our souls are sons and daughters of the king. And they, they, they walk right in the palace. Okay, now we now continue. We now continue. And I'm going to do this linear because what I do, it may be a little bit cumbersome. But when I say it in Hebrew, when I say it in Hebrew, it's easier for me to translate because I use my own translation. Other people's translations, that the translation is depends on pshat, which is the basic meaning. And if we don't understand the meaning, Translations could be a Google translation won't get any of it. We take a in Hebrew we call it a Ben Yehuda translation. That's like a Webster translation or a Google translation. So I have to take responsibility, and I pray that everything should be absolute truth what we're learning. Okay, so now Rabbi Nachman brings one of the cryptic stories of Gemara Tractate Baba Basra. The Gemara Tractate Baba Basra talks about property law, and if, it's, if you're a lawyer, you certainly need to know this. But there are some very cryptic passages in this Gomorrah, even more cryptic than in Kabbalic passages. Okay. And there was one brilliant, uh, one of our, our brilliant sages. He lived about 18 years, 1800 years ago. His name was Rabba Barbarchana. And he gives these cryptic metaphors. And it, Rabbi Nachman was able to understand them and to interpret them. Not everybody, but a lot of people don't understand what they're talking about. Okay, so here we're talking about of one of the sayings of Rabba Barbarchana. Rabba Barbarchana was a student of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was the father of the Yerushalmi Gomorrah. He was our first generation, a more the first generation after the Tanaic sages and the sages of the Gomorrah. He's the first generation. Uh, this was... Rabbi Yochanan in the land of Israel, and in his generation was Rav in Surah and Shmuel in Naharda in Babylon. And these were the three greats of that generation. Rabbi Barachana and Reish Lakish were the two greatest pupils of Rabbi Yochanan. 
Okay, so Rabbi Barachana, who was not only a scholar, he was also a very deep Kabbalist. Rabbi Barachana, he tells this story. This is not Hebrew, this is Aramaic. It's the language of the Gomorrah. Okay, so translating the Aramaic, Rabbi Barbachana tells us about its sea. He went and traveled around the world. He says there's a rogue wave, name of tonight's lesson. There's a rogue wave that sinks a ship, and that wave appears with a fringe of fire on its crest. And we say that fringe of fire, he tells us, is an angel of destruction. That's a, that's a bad side angel. In other words, something we think, you know, the, the angels in white. We think that the angels in white are the good guys. Not this one. No, this, this white, this crest of white fire. Oh, white fire, that's good. No, this crest of white fire, he's not friendly. He's not friendly. He's deadly. And then it goes on to say that, well, how do you do? Here, you're a sailor on a ship. And you see this about to hit your ship, and it's going to sink you because this that deadly angel he'll sink the ship. So Rabbi Barachana says how to defend yourself. He says you take a club, like a baseball bat or like a cricket stick. Take take something like a a cricket a cricket bat or a baseball bat, and you carve on it the divine name I am that I am. In Hebrew, it's Ekia Asher Ekia. Do you remember when Moses went up to Sinai the went up to Mount Sinai the first time? And Moses said, uh, he said, Almighty, tell me your name. And the Almighty said, you can't know my name. Nobody can know my name. He says, well, no, I need to know your name. I need to know who you are because the elders and the Israelites are going to ask me, you know, what, what happened and who, who I saw. And you tell me to take people out of Egypt. I need to know your name. He says, my name, Ekia Asher Ekia. I say, it's really a hey. I say a K, not to say God's name in, in vain. It means I am that I am. Or I will be that I will be. We translate I am that I am. Okay. And it's a very big secret to this name. Because if we take that name, it's a numerical secret. The Gomorrah tells us that how do you know the Almighty? The Almighty is 100% truth. And if it's 99% truth, it's 100% lie. So nobody can counterfeit the Almighty's name because it's 100% truth. If we take the Hebrew letters, Ekin. Aleph, hey, yud, hey, they come to 21. Asher in Hebrew means multiplication. When Leah had her six sons, she says, Kishuni Banim Bashem has greatly multiplied my sons. She had many more sons than she was supposed to have the four of the mothers, Jacob's four wives, supposed to have three each. Leah had six. She had six. And, and the other three wives had two apiece. So Leah says, Hashem has greatly multiplied. That was with Asher. So we have 21 times 21. In Hebrew, that comes to 441. 441 in Hebrew, an Aleph is a one, a Mem is a 40, 40 and a Taf is 400. Emet, truth. Hashem is true and his name is true. It's amazing. This is it. This one. So you take that Hebrew name and you never, never, only a Sofer, uh, a ritual scribe writing a Torah scroll or writing a mezuzah is allowed to do Hashem's name. But Rabbi Barbachana says you carve that name on your bat, your baseball bat, your cricket stick, your club, whatever you have, and you hit the wave with it, and that's it. The wave disperses. You will defeat that killer wave and that white crest of fire by hitting it with the stick. <laughs> is that that cryptic? That is really cryptic. What's going on here? What's going on here? So we see that the wave itself 
says Rabbi Barbachana. No, excuse me, this is Rabbi Nachman says. And Rabbi Nachman reveals us another secret. Rabbi Nachman says, you know what that wave is? The wave is the evil inclination. That the wave is the evil inclination. It's called a gala. And do you remember what I said to you a, a few minutes ago that the revelation of divine light that we're trying to get by way of our uh, revealing the divine wisdom, that is called hidgalut. That's a galut. So the gal is fighting the gal. Okay, Gal, King David says in Psalm 119, Gal Hashem opened my eyes, reveal my eyes. So the word for wave in Hebrew is the same word for revelation. So the holy side takes the Gal, Gimelamid, the holy side takes it as a revelation to reveal the divine light, to strengthen my soul, to bring me closer to Hashem. And the evil Kanation takes it as a wave. Now, what he wants to do with the wave? He wants to drown my. He wants to drown my closest to Shem. He wants to drown this this warmth, this holy fire that's burning in the soul. And what King Solomon tells us, Ne'er Hashem Nishmas Adam, that King Solomon compares the the human soul to a candle. A candle. So we see that divine the divine light is some great fire. This candle is seeking to merge itself in this great divine fire. It comes Levukalish. He wants to extinguish everything. And he wants the body to be in control. So this is what Rabbi Nachman said. Tremendous secret to Rabbi Nachman telling us. So what is going on here? Ah, now ship, look at the play on words. The ship in, 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 is called Safun in Aramaic. It's Sfina in Hebrew. And our charm, this is also the same word for charm. The charm. And so the ship that... The wave is trying to sink. That's us. That's our charm. The ship is the walls of our body that are protecting the soul. But the wave, by trying to sink the ship, is trying to bring our souls down with the body. Sink the body. In, in other words, to reduce our soul to the level of body, to reduce our soul to the level of physicality, to reduce our soul to the level of animal lust. We learned last week that per- Humans are pre- premier creations on earth that were the only creation in the universe, the spiritual and material universe that has the body of a mammal and the soul of an angel, even higher than an angel. And that means that when the soul overcomes the body, the soul is higher than an angel because they're part of the Torah where, where angels fell from angels, they, they fell into physical lust. And when a soul down here shuns physical lust and seeks divine wisdom, seeks closest to Hashem, that soul becomes higher than an angel. Now it's a no-brainer that Hashem is not only going to hear your prayers, he's going to get anything you ask for, anything you pray for anybody else, because you now become one of the special souls. What we learned last night in, in uh, Ways of the Righteous, you become one of the righteous. As one of the righteous, and you are now the premier of human, human humanity, the premier of humanity. Okay, so this is the key idea of Rebbe Nachman's lesson. Here we go. Now, listen to this very carefully. This is the real crux of today's lesson, and it's the most important thing, and it's something that a lot of people make big mistakes on. And I've seen it. Uh, you'll see, you, you hear. Okay, so the crux of today's lesson, what Rebbe Nachman is teaching us. And the, the completion of Torah 1 is that that white fringe of fire at the crest of the wave, that's the evil inclination 
And we think, oh, it's white fire. That's holy fire. That's what they No, it's not holy fire. The wave is the evil inclination, and the wave dresses itself up with this fringe of white fire because the wave wants to fool you that it is from the holy side. So what Rabbi Nachman says, Rebbe Nachman blows the whistle on this guy. Rebbe Nachman's a cop. He says, that, that, that's a crook. He's a pickpocket. Stay away from him. Rebbe Nachman says, this is the evil inclination, and he's trying to rob you of spirituality, and even worse. Okay, so you say, no, he's not going to do. Nobody's going to rob me of my amuna. I'm solid. Nobody's going to rob me of my amuna. Aha. Uh -huh. So the angel says, now he does. Okay. Okay, the angel's not going to tell you, go steal. not going to tell you, go rob. He's not going to tell you, go look at the neighbor's husband, the neighbor's wife. Now the Yetzer puts on a disguise, a Purim costume, a Halloween costume of holiness. And now the Yetzer, the evil connection, pretends that it's a mitzvah. So what does it do? It incites you into doing a mitzvah, doing more and more and more and more until you burn out. And see, we say this in our evening prayers. In our evening prayers, we ask the Almighty, Hashem, please remove the Satan from in front of us and from behind us. Okay, so you're driving a car, and you've got this 18-wheeler, a uh, full trailer in front of you doing 30 miles an hour, and you're in a 65-mile-an-hour speed limit, and you want to pass this guy. But there's a solid white line. You can't pass him. And you said 30 miles an hour, and you want to get down the road. So you finally get this broken line. You look at the side. You see it's clear. Whoop, you pass him. Oh, now I'm free. And now I'm doing 65 down the road. Oh, that's great. Uh-uh. That's not with evil inclination. Okay, you pass the truck. But if that truck is the evil inclination, then he's going to start tailgating you, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you more. So with us, when we, when the evil inclination tries to stop us, no, don't give charity. No, don't do this. Don't help the little old lady. No, uh, you can tell a white lie. That's okay. When we don't listen to him and we do the, we do the mitzvah, we do deal honestly, and we don't do any harm to any other people. We only good, good, good for other people. Now he pushes us, pushes us more. Okay. So how are the four ways I have to teach you four ways that the evil inclination pushes us. All right. Now be very, very careful. It's important. It's like it, this world is, is a war. It's a war fighting the evil inclination. And these are, I'm like the intel officer preparing you combat soldiers for combat because you're in a pitch combat every day with the evil inclination. All right. So the first thing the evil inclination says, act above your level. Don't be involved in petty mitzvot. The evil inclination comes to you. Oh, wow. You know, you're, you're really on a high level. But I, I see you on Rabbi Nachman's lessons. I see you on a moon hour and it's strengthened. And, and you're the premier of humanity. You're in maybe the top 0.001 of the top 1% of humanity. You don't need this little simple, uh, simple prayers and simple blessings. You only need just high Kabbalistic things. No, the Yetzir Hara, the evil is trying to push you above your level. Now push your bubble. If you're Noahide, be careful about your seven Noahide lessons. Be careful if you if you're uh if you're Jewish, you gotta follow every one of your 613 mitzvahs, and you gotta do your if you're a man, you have to do your three prescribed prayers. You don't don't let him push above a level. I've seen what's another example? Number two, what I call the meteor syndrome. Yesterday, a guy's completely secular. Okay, so this year. He went to Uman and he saw people with long side curls and he saw guys from Jerusalem, Hasidim from Jerusalem, and they wear gold striped uh, silk jackets on, on Shabbat. And now he goes home 
And he he barely knows how to, how to put on his tefillin. He barely knows the word of prayer. But now he starts growing his side curls and his wife says, what's that? He says, oh, no, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. And he lives in a place where, you know, people wear jeans and a bandline shirt. And he wants to put on a black jacket or even a gold striped jacket like the Jerusalem Hasidim do. I don't even wear what the Jerusalem Hasidim wear. Okay, we don't do it with that Nashdot. We are simple black. Okay, and then this goes, this is the meteor. And what happens, and I've seen this time and again. I've seen this time and again. Uh, see that a guy was sitting and said, what are you learning? Guy brand new into the program, maybe three months into the program. And you know, you should be learning scripture. You should be learning the Torah with Rashi's commentary. No, he's learning Rebbe Nachman. I see, you know something that's really difficult to understand Rebbe Nachman, unless you're deep in the Torah. No, but he's three with no, 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 this is a, the light. I need the light. Okay. And the guy put on his gold stripe, long thing. Okay. Six months later, his wife left him. 12 months later, he left Judaism, burned out. Burned out. This is a burnout. This is exactly what the evil inclination wanted. Push him, push him, push him, push him. The third way, Wow, the third way, and it's a lot of religious Jews mess up on this. The third way was what Rebbe Nachman talks about all the time, homerot, stringencies. Stringencies. A person's stringent. Have you ever seen a stringent Jew preparing for Passover? It is hell. Gehenum. It's purgatory. Oh, no. There's up there. This might be a tiny little tita crumb. No, we're humans. Hashem knows we're humans. Hashem doesn't expect a person to go through a 1,000 square foot condominium with a microscope and checking every little crack between the, the, the floorboards. You, you can't do that. You can't do that. Or a person makes his wife crazy. No, I'll only eat this type of chickens. And, and he says, only eat the chickens. No, and this rabbi's no good. This rabbi's no good. In astringencies, meanwhile, he's doing astringency that maybe one chicken has a couple of hairs on it that uh, the, the, the mashkiach didn't burn the hairs of the chicken. So it enables him, the, the evil location tells him to slander the other three babies. The first, the first, what his stringency, it's not even a mitzvah, but that by doing the stringency, the evil inclination has got him. He's breaking the Chafetz Chaim. He's breaking the laws of, of evil speech that he's breaking a once fell swoop, 31, 31 mitzvahs. Okay. Then the fourth is really the biggest evil inclination alive today, especially in Judaism. It's criticizing other people, and it is machloket l'shem shamayim, dispute in Hashem's name. Oh, yes, I'm a zealot. We got the truth. The truth is by us. The other community doesn't have the truth. The other people don't have the truth. And it, it, the Sephardim against the Ashkenazim and the Hasidim against the Litvaks and this one against this, even within the Hasidim. That today there's more flavors of Hasidim than the Baskin Robbins in the United States. They've got 56 flavors of ice cream. We've got more flavors of that. Okay, it's fine. You want to have your own Rebbe, you want to have your own way, you want to dress, your own custom, but don't talk bad about the other person. And that's so stupid. It's like somebody in the Air Force talking about somebody in the Navy. Oh, no, he's not on my level because I'm flying high. Oh, let me tell you something, Mr. Wise Guy Pilot. What's going to happen when you take a missile and you fall in the sea? Who's going to pull you out of the sea? Your brother serving in the Navy. Okay. And the, 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 the same thing. And oh, the, the infantry says oh, that pilots, they, they walk in there after shave and they eat all this, that they eat steaks and wheat and the can, can rations. So, 
quiet, quiet down. This guy is a, you know, you're, you're, you're about to, to get hit with artillery fire and that pilot is strafing them. You owe your life to that pilot. Everybody, we all connected. If we would see, all the souls are connected. So this is, again, this is the wave with the white crest. It looks like it's holy, but a mitzvah, very indignant. And you could see this going on. This is why Rebbe Nachman tells us all the time, you got to love every single person. You can't go against every single person. And, and, and you think that this is it. So this is what, this is the ploy that Torah Aleph teaches us. And what Rebbe Nachman explains from the teaching of Rabbi Barbarchana and, and the Gemara and Tractate Baba Basra, that if you can't, if you resist the evil inclination, the evil inclination will try to push you into something stronger. We have this documented in the Gemara, Tractate Chagiga, page 14, which says, Four went into the orchard. Orchard is an acronym, the Alba it's an acronym for the four types of Torah, the simple Torah and the homily and the esoteric Torah. Rebbe Akiva was the only one who came out of life because Rebbe Akiva had a high enough spiritual level to be exposed to this divine light. This is really a high level of divine light, the orchard. The orchard, it's called a very high level. It was a combination of four different types of divine light. One person became... And we're talking about the four greatest sages of the time, Rebbe Akiva and uh, Ben Azai and Ben Zoma and Elisha Ben Abuya. Elisha Ben Abuya came out a complete heretic. He could, didn't have the vessel for the divine light. Uh, ben Azai went crazy and Ben Zoma got killed. Okay, Rebbe Akiva was the only one that went into peace and came out in peace. And this is what we have to be very careful to strengthen ourselves easy by just like in the body you don't run a marathon by getting off the sofa and running the 26 miles first you walk around the block then you trot around the block then you run around the block then you run around two blocks it takes a lot of time you don't think anybody who ever considers me as their spiritual guide or rabbi or coach or whatever it's always slow growth the same for the body same for the soul slow steady growth in other words we're like a the entry tree, and we take on a, a hill. We go meter by meter. But what we take on, we don't go back. We don't go back. We take on slowly, slowly, slowly. All right? So when the combat forces capture that hill, wait for it. Let's bring up the supply. So I have something to eat. They bring up the supply forces. Bring up the, 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 the uniform. Whatever we need. Okay. So what did Rebbe Nachman mean? What, how does he? I don't understand what Rabbi Babarchana meant when we hit the wave with those sticks that have Hashem's name on it. He's saying like this: Rabbi Nachman says, that the Holy Torah subdues the evil inclination. That the evil inclination wants to make a person insane. It's just what it did. Just what it did to Ben Zoma and Ben Azai. Chas v'sholem. Okay. But now it does on the other side. How does the other side? Not everybody is on Ben Azai and Ben Zoma were holy, holy, holy people. They took them up. I we're talking about making a mistake between Mach 3 and Mach 4. Rabbi Nachman is not talking about that. He says, down here, where a person is not on that level, the evil inclination makes them insane with lust. The more the body vanquishes the soul, the more a person falls into lust. Lust can be a lust for food. 
be bad for your health. Lust can be a lust for money. People, Rebbe Nachman says he can cure any kind of lust, even the 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 lust, except for lust for money. Lust for money. I'm saying one thing, and I, I know with addicts, I've done a lot of work with addicts. The most difficult type of work with addicts is an addicted gambler. An addicted gambler, that's worse than drugs, worse than that's such a terrible, terrible, terrible addiction because it's connected with an addiction to money. And a person that's a miser that's addicted to money, that's a terrible addiction. Okay. So how do we get rid of these? How do we get rid of that? How do we get we overcome? We overcome, we take that stick with the Shem's name. What's a stick with the Shem's name? Rabbi Nachman says the stick is shaped like the letter Vav. If you take a walking stick, it's got the top and stapled like the letter Vav. The letter Vav is the sixth letter in the Torah. The tablets of the Ten Commandments were six cubits by six cubits. And the Torah, our sages tell us, is nothing but a esoteric combination of divine names. So the stick with the divine name carved on it is the Torah. So Rabbi Nachman says the way that we subdue the evil inclination and that how do we understand between the holiness and non-holiness that the average guy says, okay, sees the white fire, the white fire, that's the only fire from the altar. No, it's not. Okay, first of all, what's white fire doing on the edge of a wave? <laughs> that's not his place. That's not his place. That's that's the evil inclinations voodoo. And the way you recognize that is the more a person attains divine knowledge by learning to get the knowledge from everything, the divine wisdom within everything, and the more a person involves himself in Torah, and Bo Hashem, our lessons, this is this is pure Torah learning. Okay, the more a person gains the spiritual awareness to protect himself from the evil inclination. Now we could go and we can interpret what Rebbe Nachman was telling us. And this is why, just like Rebbe Nachman said in the old days, what they used to do, they didn't have all these things, all these definitions. And, and somebody, the person was a, a, a crazy, wasn't born with some type of uh, mental defect, but a person that acted weird, acted crazy, they'd go and they'd smack him around and they'd tell him to Torah and they'd say, be right, because usually uh, they, they, they'd cure him. That's the way they cure him. Rabbi Nachman says here, he says, uh, When you hit a person with a stick that's got a Shem's name, Rabbi Nachman said, not hit him with a baseball bat, hit him with Torah. Okay, listen, don't be a fool. Sit down and we'll learn Torah. Okay, in the beginning, Hashem created the created word seven days. Okay, in the beginning, Hashem created the sun. We're going to learn. We're going to learn. We're going to start learning Torah. Ah. Rabbi Nachman says, when you sit a person down and you teach him Torah, it's taking the stick with the divine words and it's knocking the foolishness out of him. This is really that the insanity. It's foolishness. The people are filled with a spirit of folly. King Solomon calls it washtut, a spirit of folly. And the Gemara says that a person doesn't sin unless this spirit of folly comes in. And once again, we go back and all the pieces of the puzzle come together because the spirit of folly is also in that harmful angel that's on the crest of the, the crest of the wave, which is the Sahara. Now Rabbi Nachman explains what the original passage in Psalms and first passage, Psalm 119, we say these are happy, are the people that walk the innocent path. And Rabbi Nachman says there's a lot of, in light of everything we've learned, there's a lot of secrets in here. 
Ashrei is the word from shul. It's an Aramaic word that means to observe. And this is an indication, an in, it's indicative of observing, observing. Ashrei not even means happy, it means observing. So Rabbi Nachman sees the double meaning is happy is the person who is observing, observing what the divine the divine wisdom. And the tmimei derech are the ones that walk the innocent path. They're not the highbrows with their chokhmas. No, no, no chokhmas. Only they don't have any wisdom of their own. That's the, the chokhmas, the highbrows. They, they're one that they know more than anybody else. And you can't tell them anything else. Okay, but no, they're not them. These are the ones that know they know nothing. And they're humble. And they're full with the wisdom, full with divine wisdom. There's something to say. He says something from King Solomon, something from the Gemara, something from the Torah. Okay, these are the ones that are happy that they're looking for divine wisdom and they're observing divine wisdom and they're walking on the innocent path. And that's what Rabbi Nachman says. This is to be made derech, the woes who walk innocently. It comes from what the Torah says in Genesis chapter 25, Yaakov Ishtam, Jacob is innocent. So Tmime is, is, is plural of Tom. Jacob's innocent. And that's Jacob, who is the good inclination. This is such a beautiful puzzle that Rabbi Nachman is putting together right at the end. So in order to merit the wisdom, the divine wisdom that illuminates our souls and brings us closer to Hashem and enables us to subdue our evil inclination, then we have to connect to the innocence of Jacob and look at the wisdom of everything and the way we do that is by keeping our heads into Torah, into Torah. Rather than quoting the New York Times or the BCC, the BBC, uh, we, we quote Torah. That these are the people that walk in the ways of Hashem. Rabbi says, you learn Torah powerful. It's not just a person sits and, and learns and reads it like reads it. No, he learns the power I've got to make this penetrate my soul. By learning Torah with power, it gives power to the holy soul, the holy side of the soul, to subdue the darkness. That's the nun, the holy side of the soul. And the holy side of the soul, once it gets power from the Torah, it becomes this divine vessel, divine vessel for the divine light. Imagine the divine light is a $500 bottle of uh, of uh, French uh, chateau. The French Chateau wine, a Rothschild Chateau from 25 years old, and and this is this is what this is the divine light. The wisdom comes together. So when that divine light comes together with the wisdom, but the wisdom is full of the knowledge of Hashem because it's full of Torah and it's observing Hashem and it's not looking at the media, not looking at all kinds of uh, detective stories and romance stories, but it's involved itself in the Torah. Person reads Psalms. A person learns Torah. And then he prepares himself or herself for a vessel of divine light. Then their soul becomes charming. And Rabbi Nachman finishes Discourse 1. And he says, this brings you your charm. And all your heart's wishes should be answered. And all your prayers heeded for the very best. Amen. Thank you, Hashem, for enabling us to finish the first Discourse together. Uh, you don't know how happy I am. I'm elated and get up and dancing. That's the meteor syndrome. Do more, do more, do more. I'll give you an example. Somebody comes and they tell, hey, wait a second. Your hem is too short. Hey, your sleeves are too short. Oh, you better put on uh, put on heavier garments, put on longer garments. Put on... Okay, but to give me a, make you crazy. 
where you're already modestly dressed according to halacha, but they said, no, you got to do more. You got to do more because you're on a high level now. You're getting a high level of these. You got to do more until he makes you so crazy that you say the heck with it all, you know, and this would protect you. And that's why, you know, a lot of times uh, you've asked me questions and I say, hold back, hold back, hold back. Okay. Take little by little, little by little to make sure that your soul is strong enough to handle the divine light because it's all more divine light. You're, you're growing, you're growing. You, you should, you are not the same five years ago. Not at all. I will be can attest to that. And I can attest to that. I want to tell you something, Rabbi Wolbe, Rabbi Wolbe, the head of Torch. Torch is, in my opinion, the greatest outreach organization in all Southwest USA. And Rabbi Wolbe, who is the Sadiq grandson of a Sadiq, his great, his grandfather, his grandfather was, he was one of the greatest ethics teachers of the entire generation. And I don't know any bigger Kiruv experts than Rabbi Wolbe. Okay, so about person t- taking it slow by slow. And that is why it's such a delight for us in Amuna Beams to partner with, by the way, they say your, your rabbi is like your father. Okay, and so Rabbi Wolbe and I, we have the same rabbi. So we, we're more, we're very, very, very much spiritual brothers. And once again, I want to thank our host, thank Rabbi Wolby, and I want to bless the Torch organization and everybody connected to it with so much success and be able to bring all of Southwest USA from Texas to California and go up and spread. Ufarat's the love of says you go further and further and wider and wider. We just opened up. Uh, uh, they're located in Houston. All right, to Dallas, and it's going to go down to, to Austin and and west to Waco, a lot of big Dohide population in Waco, and Bo Hashem, just so much success, so much success. And Mitz Hashem, Mitz Hashem, we hope to see you soon. But our, our travel plans are in November to be in Southwest USA and Bezat Hashem. Anyway, thanks again to Torch Organization and Rabbi Wolby in particular. Blessings for everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbat. Uh, those of you who are still fasting, a continued easy fast, and that we should go through these three weeks and we hope to have a rebuilt Holy Temple uh, by the next three weeks. Meanwhile, God bless and look forward to seeing everybody next week.